The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing where this week is every week we are striving to be your source for information and inspiration. You need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And this week we had we had so much stuff to say that we're actually going to be talking to three separate guests about two separate issues. First, we're going to wrap up our best and worst deal winners from Columbus and Cincinnati who what um, won the uh, best and worst uh, deals awards in at those two associations uh, back at the holiday parties in early December. And we're going to wrap up the show with a very important interview with Deb Jetter from Housing Opportunities Made Equal, who's going to address that scary, scary issue of do you, in fact, according to HUD's new rules, now have to rent to felons? So we're going to start the show with a couple of the uh, best and worst deal of the year winners. We are talking to John Hinson, who won the most creative deal of the year up at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Meeting a couple of weeks ago. And that is a, that's always a hard fought category because there's a lot of really creative investors out there, but John beat out three other competitors for the most creative deal. So congratulations on that, John. That was uh, that was quite a battle. Well, thank you. <laughs> now, let's let's start by uh, just telling people a little bit, a bit about you. Where are you from? How long have you been in real estate? Do you do, you do something else in real life? Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, uh, pretty much born and raised. Um, I've been in real estate since about 2009. And I, I, I guess my other job or my job that I do is I'm an accountant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the uh, federal government. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is, this is sort of a, a on-the-side gig for you at the moment. Uh, and, yeah. and yet, you know, I know you're, you're out there, you know, you're doing it. It's not, it's not a hobby for you. It's a real, <laughs> it's, it's a real business. So let's talk about this deal and let's start for the, for the benefit of our listeners who maybe aren't from the Columbus area. Uh, talk a little bit about what kind of property was it? What sort of neighborhood was it? Um, just, just, just give us a visual of what this property was all about. Okay. Well, um, well, like I said, this property was in Columbus, and it's it's in the kind of the Linden, it's in the Linden areas. Uh, and so, uh, for those that are not familiar with the Columbus area, that's kind of a 
and it was a duplex property and it's 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 that more of a lower income area the more it's a more of a rental uh type area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it's more kind of an urban area as well okay yes yeah, pretty close to downtown um older older properties generally i mean i think i think most of linden was probably built prior to 1950 so um not you know not not giant houses and not like a lot of amenities or anything. Okay, so how did you find this particular deal? Well, I, I found this deal through a uh, landlord ad in, on Craigslist. And I, uh, <clears throat> I had seen, and I, I've been doing this for a while where I'll email those folks that are, have, that are looking for renters and I'll just quickly send them a message. Are, are you uh, looking to, are you only wanting to rent? Or are you possibly looking to sell? And this, and then for this particular uh, property, the landlord uh, quickly sent me a message back saying, yes, I, I want to sell uh, as soon as possible. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That, that in itself should have won you most creative deal of the year. So, so um, I, I think, I think the, the thing that really got you the award was how this negotiation proceeded from there. So let, 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 let's talk about what did you ask for and then how did well, that go back and forth? Well, so I guess to make a long story short, cause I, uh, I had negotiated this kind of this, this deal for for about I, I, from start to finish about three months. I started in May, closed in July, and uh, and so and it was interesting. A lot of there was a lot of negotiation about the contract and doing a, it, should we do a land contract or or whatever. But uh, the things that I asked for that I kind of spoke about, um, he didn't have any questions about those things. I kind of put those in there, and uh, and he was. He didn't say anything about him. He had his lawyer look at it. He, the lawyer was fine with it. Um, so I never got any pushback on those on those items that I, I actually put in, mm-hmm. which was interesting enough, uh, which the items were uh, one, uh, two item, one, one item. One, the first item was that uh, if I made consecutive payments to him uh, without missing payments or without late payments, that I would get uh, uh, $3,000 off. And then the other one was if uh, – if I paid him off within two years, then I would get another uh, $4,000 off. Um, off, And then uh, some of the other things that I put in is if he tried to sell the note that was created from this, that I would get the first right to buy it at a 10% reduction of cost and uh, or a cost of what he, want, he was going to sell it to the market for. Um, so, uh, and like I said, I, these things I didn't get any pushback on um, for those items. The only item that we had some negotiation on was the uh, with the uh, item that about the sewer drain, and that was after our inspection, and we saw that that issue, and uh, and I wanted to reduce the price, and he said he couldn't do that, so we put in the deal that hey, if it does happen and there is an issue, that uh, we would split the cost on it, and then so he would have to pay twenty five hundred dollars, up to twenty five hundred dollars on the on the cost of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wait a minute, I I, I got to back this up a second because okay. because well you know you're, you're on the radio and there's a lot of listeners in their cars and I don't want them to crash while they're getting out their calculator and figuring out how much how much of a discount you negotiated yourself right into the contract. So the 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 overall purchase price was how much? Twenty one thousand. So it's twenty one thousand dollars for a duplex, but. You also negotiated, I'm going to pay you that in monthly payments. Correct. 
and the monthly payments were how much? Um, they're about three fifty. Three fifty a month, and that'll be for how many years? Uh, so the original uh, deal was about, I think, five years. Okay, so so twenty one thousand at three fifty for five years. Now you also negotiated right into the contract. If I make all my payments on time and in full, the price is no longer twenty one thousand. It's did you say a three thousand dollar discount? Yes. So it's eighteen thousand, which really just cuts payments off the back end, right? That's you just get to stop making payments earlier. And also, if I I don't know sell another house or for you know sell this house or for some reason am able to pay you back earlier than I said I was, then I get another two thousand dollars off. Right, which would bring our bring the bring the actual price down to sixteen thousand dollars, and then on top of That's that, right. and this all happened before you even did the full blown inspection, and then oh no, this was after we did the inspection. Oh okay, okay, but you had the um you had the issue come up of of a sewer problem, which can be very expensive. Anyone who hasn't dealt with yeah. one of those maybe doesn't realize that you know twenty five hundred dollars might not even pay for half of a sewer replacement. So you kind of you kind of left it as if this turns out to be the problem that we think it might, then correct. There's a potential additional $2500 um expense to be paid by the seller here. Yes. So what's the goal with this property? What are you going to do with it? So I, I uh the goal was to rent it out uh and I have done that. Uh so I have rented it out. So uh, one side, when we got it, was totally already renovated, and that was the side he was trying to rent out. The other side needed some work, and um, so and that's part the part where we had some negotiation. And so part of that also, and I didn't talk about this, is there was some seller, we, I, I, we in the contract we required him to make some repairs and things that he did as well. There was like a back door that got kicked in, and so he, he, did, he fixed that, and there was some plumbing issues that he fixed. Um, so... But right now I am renting it out, and I'm getting about 600 aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you kind of do the math, 350 plus $70 for insurance, and then another like $100, $70 for taxes a month. Um, so one side almost pays all my expenses, and the other side is all is just cash flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's important for listeners who maybe aren't in our business every day to hear you say again that this seller was not was not fighting any of this he wasn't you know because because i could see somebody going well john totally took advantage of this seller but 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 the seller was like totally okay with every piece that you negotiated because i'm sure in his mind it was like oh this is cool i might get paid off early that i it's worth two thousand extra dollars to me to get paid off early Ooh, cool i want my payments on time and in full it's worth it to me to give this guy a discount. I mean, this has got to be what's going on in his head, right? That's that was my thinking. Uh, I, I know he wanted out the property. He wanted out fast because, uh, like I said, he lived in London, Ohio, and him and he did all his own repairs. So him driving 40, 40 minutes to an hour every time there's a repair and things he had to do was just really being was really taxing on him. And then he had bought a new house somewhere else, and so. He didn't. He wanted to get rid of this as soon as possible, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I guess I was able to help him do that with the, with these deals. And so, and it was interesting. That, like I said, the only thing he really pushed back on, and I guess it was because of his lawyer, was instead of 
me being deed holder and then him being first mortgage lien, uh, first mortgage holder, he wanted to be uh, doing a land contract and hold deed until uh, until it was paid off. So, yeah. which is cool with you because you've got that recorded land contract to protect your interest. Right. So one one piece of advice, if you had one piece of advice that you could give to real life real estate listeners who are sitting there being jealous because you made that deal and they didn't make that deal, what what would that piece of advice be? Well, really, just don't work. Only work with flexible sellers, those that are willing to work with you and willing to negotiate with you. Um, and there's really no reason to uh, waste time on on sellers that are inflexible, unless it's an, an awesome deal. But other than that, uh, lead, just move on from the inflexible deals and move towards those sellers that are flexible. Excellent, excellent advice. Congratulations, John, on your win for best creative deal of 2016 and hope you'll be back next year telling us another even better story thank you you're listening to real life real estate investing welcome back to real life real estate investing now we have the winner of the most prestigious award of the year which is the best deal of the year and uh, George Goforth was the winner of that uh, award here in the Cincinnati area, at Cincinnati, Rhea. And George, is, George has been around a little while. George is one of our more experienced members. But before we talk about your deal, George, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, how long you've been in the real estate business, um, you know, what you, what, you, what you do in real life, all of that sort of thing. Uh, in real life, I'm a real estate investor. This is what I do full time. I am a licensed agent. Uh, I occasionally uh, help other people buy property for investment or friends and family, but primarily I'm an investor. Um, I spent a little bit about myself. I spent the 80s in the Air Force. I was a rescue helicopter pilot. I got out of the Air Force in 88. I've been a certified property manager, managed over 2,000 apartments in the Cincinnati, Dayton, northern Kentucky area. Um, I've also worked for a national real estate developer uh, as a property manager and a vice president of operations. I've managed 25 million square feet of uh, retail space in 35 different states. Uh, Lost that job when the CMBS market crashed, and that's when I decided uh, to be self-employed since it's very difficult to find a job in my career field at that point. So I started buying homes and buying to create cash flow long term. So I was a buy and hold investor. Um, and that primarily is what I'm doing today. Uh, well, I'm buying and flipping now. And uh, But if I find the right property, I will buy and hold. I moved a couple of years ago, and that's motivated me to to sell some properties and try to buy properties closer to where I live because I, like a lot of investors, feel you need to be able to drive by your property occasionally and it's very inconvenient to drive an hour one way to see a property. <laughs> very true, which, uh, which sort of led to the story uh, that won you the best deal of the year. So let's let's start by sort of um, painting a picture for listeners who are not from the greater Cincinnati area about where this property was, age, size, you know, the kind of neighborhood that it's in, that sort of thing. Okay, the uh, property is located in uh, Norwood, Ohio. Norwood is a, um, uh, a small city within a city. Norwood is completely surrounded by the city of Cincinnati. 
Uh, Norwood is approximately six miles north of Cincinnati as the crow flies. So geographically, it's in a great location. It's close to all the major highways. Uh, uh, it, it's uh, what I would consider an up-and-coming neighborhood. Like a lot of neighborhoods, it's got its very desirable areas. The home that I purchased was probably not in the most desirable area. It's in an area that's predominantly rental properties. And um, but I did buy it as a rental, so that was uh, no big deal. It uh, was built in 1892, so it's a very old property, but that's typical for that neighborhood. Most homes were built in the late 1800s through about 1929. The house was on the large size for a rental. The county auditor listed at 2,246 square feet. The county auditor also calls it a three-bedroom, two-bath. It does have a detached two-car garage, which is a huge bonus. Uh, in this part of town, based on the age of the homes, many homes do not have off-street parking, and I did have a, a nice two-car garage. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The house, uh, I found it on the MLS uh, back in, and uh, I closed on it in 2011. I think I actually found it in late 2010. Um, it was uh, an MLS purchase. There were a number of other investors bidding on it. Uh, I think uh, the speed at which I bid, uh, I, I usually bid with no contingencies. Uh, I do my own inspections. I, you know, I've been in real estate a long time. I did work my way through college as a carpenter's helper. Uh, not that that makes me a carpenter, but uh, I know what I'm looking at when I walk through a house. And so uh, I usually feel confident walking through a house, putting together my rough budget in, gosh, five or ten minutes, and uh, making an offer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did here. My offer was accepted relatively quick. Uh, uh, I felt like I stole the house at twenty-two thousand uh, dollars. Overall, it was in very good condition. It was been neglected for a few years. It was actually considered condemned by the city of Norwood. Uh, the yard had weeds four or five foot high. It hadn't been maintained in forever. The air conditioning unit was sitting in the living room because it was a building code violation. They actually mounted the compressor in the neighbor's yard. Uh, Norwood is one of those cities with zero lot lines, so it's physically possible to inadvertently put something in the neighbor's yard if you're not smart about what you're doing. Uh, they also had some um, other building code violations that resulted in the house being condemned. So the seller was another investor. He was uh, very motivated to sell. Uh, he disliked the property immensely. And um, and and even though he had paid a hundred and eleven thousand dollars for it, he was very happy to accept twenty two thousand dollars from me. And then after we reached an agreement, I'm all excited, ready to start work, thinking I'm going to close quickly because I'm buying all cash. Um, so there are no problems on my end. But he's got a title issue. It took uh, months to solve his title issue. Uh, I hung in there because I recognized it as a good deal. We actually closed on the property April 1st of 2011, and that wasn't a joke. That was a real closing. <laughs> and uh, and so um, I, I was telling the folks in our uh, RIA meeting, uh, our investors meeting, uh, that uh, the person I bought the house from, he actually thanked me for taking this problem off his hands. Mm -hmm. And his problem became my good deal. And... Um, one of the reasons I think maybe my deal was voted as the best deal of the year uh, could be because it's a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
Uh, I just told you about the purchase of the property. I held the property for 61 months. I had it for five full years. Uh, during that five years, I only had two tenants in the home. Uh, it was uh, The purchase price was really low. Back then, I used to do a lot of my own work, so it only cost approximately $5,000 to fix the home up. Uh, the uh, air conditioning unit was in great condition. It was actually very new, and so was the furnace. So we just repositioned that where it needed to go. That was just a few hundred dollars. Uh, the building code violations uh, were re- the result of uh, some broken water pipes, and it was the plastic CPVC pipe, so that was inexpensive to fix. I hired a plumber to do that. There were some electrical issues, filed for a new build, a new uh, electrical permit, had an electrician come out, just a few hundred dollars to fix that. Most of my money was spent on cleaning up the yard, trimming the trees back, uh, and painting the house. Mm-hmm. When I rented it to my first renter, the house still had its original carpet in it. I uh, still had the original kitchen, um, still had the original roof, which was a newer roof, uh, newer HVAC. So it was um, a very good deal financially for me. But also as a rental, I didn't have to do anything to the home because even though it's well over 100 years old, all of the major mechanicals had been replaced. Uh, I did put appliances in the home. Uh, they were used appliances, so I did not pay a lot of money for those. Um, but the house looked really good. From a rental perspective, it was a really good property. It was not a good flipper because the quality of some of the rehab was really not where I like it to be. But from a rental perspective, it was a great property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my first renter stayed two years. Uh, uh, they, uh, they decided to be buyers, but they decided not to buy my home. They, uh, I didn't have it on the market at the time, but they purchased another home uh, nearby. And... Um, and then I uh, quickly re-rented the house to a second renter. This renter stayed until I sold the house. And, um, and, and I guess uh, people may want to know what the rents were with this low purchase price. The first renter paid nine fifty a month for the first two years. I did not raise the rent between uh, lease renewals. Mm-hmm. The second renter paid nine seventy five a month. And the second renter did express a desire to buy the house. And it took them just over two years, but they qualified for a loan. And, uh, and so I agreed to sell them the house. Uh, and uh, I agreed to sell it to them for $74,000. And, uh, and to me, that seemed like a really good price. The market's a little hot now. I probably could have sold it for more. But at this point, I'm five years into it. The house is looking a little tired. It still had the original carpet in it from when I purchased it. Uh-huh. Now the carpet's really looking bad. Obviously, it's going to need a paint job. Uh, some of the low-quality fit-and-finish things that I didn't like, they never they put in new windows, but they didn't trim around the windows, uh, new vinyl windows. They removed the glass from the storms that left the frames in, and, you know, things like that, which to me looked bad, but they didn't bother my renter who lived there. They were willing to buy the house as is, uh, and since I sold it to them directly, there were no, there was no fix-up, there was no real estate commission, there were no other fees involved other than I did help them with their closing costs. And, uh, and I think that's what made my story so compelling, because when I presented this to the real, local real estate investors group, uh, I didn't really focus on percentages. I looked at uh, cash-in, cash-out. Mm-hmm. You know, I had approximately $27,000 invested in this home. Uh, over the holding period, I received $54,100 
in rent. And I did go back and verify that number, Vina, from my tax returns because I was curious. And so, so that, that's a real number. I did receive $54,100 over that holding period. And there was some times where the house was between tenants. It was vacant for a little while. Um, but, um, but I thought that was a really strong rent over that period. I did look up and see what my actual holding expenses were. On expenses, taxes, and insurance, I'd spent a total of $14,374. So that was, to me, was relatively low uh, expenses uh, for that holding period. Mm-hmm. Then I turned around and sold it for $174,000. So, again, a $27,000 investment. Uh, gross cash received was $128,100. If you minus the operating expense, uh, taxes, insurance, uh, and operating expense, plus the closing costs uh, at the closing, I actually netted $110,926. So when you look at the low investment, the high cash flow, it was a very easy rental. It was an easy thing to re-rent. It was never an A property or even a B property. It was probably a C-plus property uh, in a a C-plus part of an area. And so so I I felt really good about that investment. As a matter of fact, uh, I would buy properties like that all day long if I could. And uh, it's um, even though I own four or five others just like this with very similar stories, even though I haven't sold them yet, they are very difficult to find, um, you know. But when you do find a property like that, speed is important if you're bidding on it. Uh, and in today's market, there's always multiple bidders. But even in 2011, there were multiple bidders. Um, I, I find I try not to focus on the negatives or the competition. I play my own game. So, George, yeah, that's, I mean, it's no wonder you won the best deal of the year. You got the best of everything. <laughs> you, got a, you got a great deal. You got cash flow for several years, and then you got a cash payout that, you know, and especially compared to that low price that you got, you were going to win that prize. <laughs> I was in that room. You were going to win that prize. So your best advice to real-life real estate listeners who want to be the one on the air or having the best deal of the year next year? Well, it's uh, just like buying the property. You, you can't get there from here unless you're in the game. Uh, I, would, uh, I would encourage everybody to, uh, to be bold, make an offer, make multiple offers, buy your first property, and, uh, and then work through the issues that we all face every day in rehabbing and flipping or rehabbing and holding and uh, and learn your craft, and uh, and and the more you do it, the easier it gets, the better it feels, and uh, and it's very possible to to do this. Uh, uh, I I do have a lot of experience in the commercial world. Uh, this is completely different animal, but uh, the basics of real estate are all the basics. But but you can't find a good deal if you're not looking for a good deal, and you can't get a good deal if you're not making offers. <laughs> so. Uh, so my encouragement to anyone out there who hasn't had their first deal yet or their first really good deal is you have to really be persistent. Uh, don't give up. Focus on the positives, uh, uh, not the negatives. There are plenty of negatives. So view yourself as a problem solver, and you will get a great deal. 
Very good. Congratulations on your big win for best deal of the year. Uh, George Goforth, you'll see him uh, at Cincinnati Rea meetings if you if you come on down and check those out. And we appreciate you sharing with the Real Life Real Estate audience today. Thank you, Vina. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You too. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and with me now in the studio is Deb Jetter, who is the Director of Education for Housing Opportunities Made Equal, the local fair housing advocacy group, advocacy group here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she is our go-to gal here on Real Life Real Estate whenever scary, touchy fair housing issues come up. And so she's here today to talk to us about this thing that everybody's panicked about, which is a new, new-ish uh, came out back in over the summer, right? Yeah, summer April of, of 2016. April of 2016. Uh, HUD ruling about criminal background record policies and the amount of consternation <laughs> that this has caused. You know, HUD, HUD issued this white paper kind of thing. And it got on the internet and everybody was reading it. And I started getting these things about, do you know you now have to rent to felons? Like, as if, as if they were now not, as if it was not like, like, like more than a protected class, like a somehow advocated for <laughs> class, right? You must rent to them. And, um, I think very few people actually read the, the whole thing, uh, or we wouldn't, we wouldn't be having all of these issues. So tell us what this thing is. What, what is it? What is this? thing that we are looking at from HUD? Well, um, the policy that HUD gives on criminal record uh, po uh, guidelines for landlords is that anyone who has a blanket policy that bans anyone with a criminal record, um, that's no longer permissible. Uh, what HUD wants is that now um, landlords will have to look at an applicant that meets their general criteria on a case-by-case -case basis. So, for example, if a landlord had a policy and someone had a criminal background record that were just arrests, no convictions, um, in the past they could get away with that, but now landlords are going to have to spend more time looking at the whole profile of the person. So they have to look at whether or not this individual would be an endangerment to the property. They're going to have to look at whether they're an endangerment to um, the uh, tenants and the length of time uh, that they violated the law. You know, if it was 50 years ago and they had bounced checks and your policy in the past says no one, that person's paid for their crime. And so... Uh, because there's such a demand uh, to help people succeed that are ex-offenders once they enter society, um, this is only fair. Um, the other thing deals with the fact that over 650,000 ex-offenders are released every year from state and federal institutions. And so naturally for them to be successful, they need decent and affordable housing just like anybody else. So if I have an applicant who meets my criteria and I see, oh, wow, you know, they've um, been a uh, ex-offender in the last 10 years 
and my policy says I won't consider anyone uh, that have, you know, been an ex-offender for the last five, then you might have to take a look at that person. Mm -hmm. So want to tell landlords, <clears throat> HUD does not require that ex-offenders are now protected classes. They are not. They're just saying that you're going to have to spend a little bit more time looking at applicants that do have criminal records. Be consistent with your policy. So if my policy is I check credit, I check uh, previous landlords, you have to be employed, that stick to that. They're not saying change your policy, but they are saying that if you have a blanket ban on anyone with a criminal record, then you'll have to, you know, readjust that to... Um, Look at the whole person. That sounds a lot less scary than the internet said. <laughs> the the questions that that uh, I was seeing flying around and 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 some that I have myself, honestly, uh, since we, you know we have the expert in the room, might as well <laughs> might as well might as well get these out there. Um, can we consider the type of crime? Assuming we're doing it, the, you know, the same way with everybody, can we say yes? I will consider ex-offenders as long as the offense was not violent as long as the offense was not I mean is that is that can that be part of the decision-making process um, I would suppose um, someone could set criteria that would justify so if the applicant and here's another thing that the new ruling does it says that if an applicant with a criminal background um, has questions about my integrity of, you know, not accepting them, they can challenge that. And the landlord or management company has to show evidence that why I turned you down, applicant, is because <clears throat> you've shown, when I checked, uh, your background, that within the last year or so you committed you know, um, domestic violence, you know, you tore up the property, you know, you got in fights with tenants. So based upon what HUD tells me, I don't have to rent to someone that is an endangerment to my property. I don't have to rent to someone who is an endangerment to tenants. So that type of uh, violation, domestic violence, could fit into that category mm -hmm. uh, with evidence. And, and you have to show the evidence. So that's the thing. You can set the policy, but when I turn down someone, do I have the evidence to support my decision? And that's what HUD's asking versus the other thing is you have no evidence. You're still punishing a person for 50 years when they may have did a violent crime. They now are proving that they have never been in trouble. When they were 18, you know, maybe they did, you know, something that was a violent crime. Now that they've been rehabilitated, they're a productive citizen, you know, they, they have children they raise that are, are wonderful, they have been very productive in the community, then that's when you may have to consider the time the offense was done, how that person's performing in society, and he's okay now and I think I can rent to him. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to stop landlords from punishing people that could uh, lead productive lives and are leading productive lives versus having people pay for their crime forever. Is is HUD interested in this as a fair housing issue because of the disproportionate number of people of color who are in prison? Uh, yes. Is it a disparate impact issue? They're, they're interested for that purpose. Uh, and also for the fact that ex-offenders are people too. 
And uh, there are so many people that if you look, and I know a lot of people, you know, um, who have maybe committed a crime and they're now productive citizens. And there's so many. The United States leads other nations in incarceration, mm-hmm. you know. And because of that, there are people that will be getting out every year. And most of the people that are incarcerated will eventually get out. So they're trying to get these people housed, get them being productive, because if they don't, they're going to go right back, you know, into that situation. But yes, uh, Vina, in answer to your question, many of the people that do come out uh, are Hispanic and African American. Tell us what the difference is from a practical perspective between a HUD ruling and an actual change to the law. Because, I mean, we've had some big, you know, in the okay. 60s, in the in the 70s, we had some big, like, major changes to the fair housing law. And that's really not what this is. This was not like an act of Congress. Well, here's the thing about HUD and its um, responsibility once the legislation was passed in 1968 to, you know, make this a fair housing law or act. Okay. So the law was established. HUD has the responsibility of regulating it adjusting it, you know, to make it more inclusive um, and enforcing the law that includes regulations. So there's specific parts of the law, but there's also regulations and rules that helps that person who it may be directed to, to enforce better housing opportunity. And so they have that right to define it, to make it stronger, et cetera. So although these are regulations, they're still enforceable. Mm-hmm. So HUD has the power to basically under the law itself to make it stronger with ha- without having to go through the legislation process. So anything that helps that happen with within the ruling itself, they do have the power to strengthen its teeth. Mm-hmm. So although although it is not quote, a new law in in the sense that like the 1968 Civil Rights Act was a new law. It does have the force of law, meaning if you are found to be in violation of it, uh, you are going to go through the same system as if you had discriminated against any other, any protected class. Right. So it's still filed under the same protected class of the Fair Housing Act. Okay. And um, they are just strengthening that aspect of it based on uh, the fact that you could be violating um, one if they are minority or if they are an ex-offender because of the fact that uh, you didn't follow their rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So all of our friends out there in listener land mm-hmm. who um, are hearing about who, who have heard who are going to have heard about this for the first time um, and then are going to later be confronted with somebody in in their RIA group or something who's going to say, did you hear you? You must rent to offenders. I don't know why I'm doing my Yoda voice, but did you, (laughs) you must rent to offenders. You must. Uh We tell our colleagues what in summary. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, it's not the case that we have to rent to offenders, but if, if someone approaches me and says, is this true that you have to rent to offenders? What should I tell them about how they should, how, how they should change their tenant screening moving forward. Okay. Um, that they are to look at every applicant following, following their policy. And if they see an applicant does have a criminal record background, they're not to apply a blanket 
uh, enforcement procedure. That, oh, here's an applicant. He meets or she meets all my criteria, okay? And based on what I have established as policy, I have an example here of uh, one of your members who has a great one-page policy. And um, they've established criminal history, you know, uh, procedure. I like it. I think it's a good thing. And they changed their blanket policy to read <clears throat> criminal history. Um, BBC Properties will review any applicant with a criminal history and make a decision based on individual cases. Generally, we do not accept anyone who, for the past five years, has been convicted of violent crime, drug trafficking, and um, sex offenders. Mm -hmm. So that's acceptable. They're, they're saying to the applicant, uh, if you haven't done anything in the last five years, okay, we'll accept you. And if you do have a criminal background, we'll look at you on a case-by-case -case basis in retrospect to our policy. So landlords can set policy. You may establish how long you will look at someone. If it's two years, five years, what have you, you have the right. HUD doesn't take that right away from you. But what HUD is saying is that you should look at an individual uh, individually in retrospect to your policy. Mm -hmm. So no more just round filing <laughs> applications because the person has been convicted of something. You have to go further than that and look at yeah. when, what, is it is it is it too old to matter? Has there, have there not been repeat offenses after years and years and years? And above all, treat everybody the same. Yeah. You can't you can't go through all of this for one applicant and then the the next applicant don't even look at their credit history because you have a really good feeling about them. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Deb You're Jetter. Welcome. Uh Housing Opportunities Made Equal. How do people get a hold of you if they have fair housing issues questions? Um, they can reach us uh, by way of uh, phone. And our number is 513-721-4663 uh, by way of the internet. And that's www.homecincy.org. Um, and you can also get us on Facebook. And um, we'll be happy to assist you. If you have a question, let me say this. If a landlord has a question about what they're doing, in fact, the um, person that I just read to you, she said, I've established my, you know, changed my policy. I want you to read it to see if I'm in compliance. You know, we'll be happy to answer questions for you. So we don't want you to, you know, uh, be worried about it. We want you to be successful. So give us a call. So no, no gotcha. Yeah. No, no, no. If you call us, we're going to yes. go investigate. They're, they're actually here to help folks. So again, Deb Jetter, 513-721-HOME. 721-HOME. Uh, appreciate you coming in today. Thank you for inviting Deb, me. Deb, and, and helping it. us all be less frightened of yeah. change. And if they want training for their <laughs> staff, I'll be happy to come out and there's no charge. So uh, just give us a call if you want training on this so that any um, leasing managers or uh, someone that still is not you know, clear about it, be happy to help. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.